and thank you for listening to this special edition episode of the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Ivy Mickey, but I will not be hosting today. Instead, we have an awesome interview that our very own Matilda Reynolds Tills did on the road after the tour down under and before the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race with Heidi Franz. The two of them sat down in Australia to chat and I am so excited to bring you this episode. All right, so testing one, two, three. Do you want a beatbox? (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, (coughs) edit that out. Um, No, so I'm here with Heidi Louise France. (laughs) Excellent, well done. Uh, For Escape Collective. My name is Matilda Reynolds. I am uh, not Abby Mickey. I'm here uh, being a part of the Summer of Cycling here in Australia and we thought we'd take... The opportunity, friend of the podcast, friend of freewheeling, friend of Appy Mickey, uh, to catch up with uh, the American from Seattle, uh, Heidi Franz. Heidi, how's it been? Oh, it's been great. Yeah. I always love coming to Australia for some uh, for some summertime, escape the winter wherever I am in the world. Yeah. yeah. Have you, um, in terms of your preparation for this, did you do um, a lot of like heat prep or because it's very early in term, and, the, and the racing is on, it's not the holiday it used to be coming down under. Have you noticed a big change in that? Uh, well, I definitely agree with you. It's no holiday anymore. Yeah. Um, and I actually didn't do any heat training for this, but in the past I have because uh, I was coming from a much colder place. So the last time I came here to race, I was coming from Seattle where it was much colder and probably snowing. Um, and now I've come from Girona, which is a, a much more mild winter. So it hasn't been as difficult. And I think this year's racing actually wasn't that bad as far as the heat went. Mm. So I kind of got lucky in that aspect. Um, but I also arrived a bit earlier than the rest of my team did just because I wanted to Mm. adjust a bit quicker and get the time zone stuff sorted and all that. So you've been in Australia for how many weeks? Uh, I got here on the 5th of January. So I guess three weeks over three. Almost four. Yeah. Yeah. So let me test some of your Australian-ness on this (laughs) Australia day. So. Oh yes. Happy Australia day. I know. Well, It's a bit controversial, so we sort of, yeah, but don't really celebrate it because it's sort of the day that um, the English took it, but we will try not to cancel ourselves, so we will move on. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, yeah, today is Australia Day, so let me test some of your um, uh, Australian-ness. So if I was to say, yeah, nah, do I mean yes or no? It could go... Either way, I would say yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it means like, yeah, nah, means like, I agree with you and no. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if, uh, what does, what does put the billy on mean? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I'll I'll give you a pass on this because when I went to America, no one has kettles. It's very weird that none of your homes really have many like tea. Tea is not much of a thing in oh, America. No, so put call... you, put the billy on is like is like an old school kettle. Um, yep. 
Why would you call be- a kettle? Well, it used to be a kettle. Before there were kettles, it, would, it was just like a pot that you put onto fire and the pot was called Billy. So- <laughs> okay, final two. What does smoko mean? <laughs> you Aussies have the strangest phrases. Mate, I'm only just getting started. I'm giving you easy ones. Smoko. Smoko, no idea. It means um, like to have morning or afternoon tea, like, to have a break and have a little oh, snack. Okay, so, yeah. yeah, you could like, you, you could out, stop at a. Go out for a smoke. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But we don't smoke anymore. So it's no. like, so when you're on the bike and you're halfway through, it's like, we need a smoko. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need a break. We need to roll into a coffee shop and get a brew. Okay. Yeah. Um, final one. What do I mean when I say that the crit that we had on Thursday night was a dog's breakfast? <laughs> um, in the sense that it was uh, relentless and a bit like your dog eating too fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. It means like a dog's breakfast means like it's just it was just bloody messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got there. We got there. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, Best thing you've seen since you've been here? The best thing I've seen. uh, That's a hard one. I don't. I don't really mean. What about the furry creatures in the trees and stuff? Fairy creatures in the trees, definitely. The koalas. Yep, the koalas. Yep. Um, petting a koala was great. I, I do enjoy a koala sighting, uh, especially one that looks like it's dead. Like I pulled over to the side of the road cause I spotted one in the tree and it looked like it was dead. It had both front limbs just completely limp hanging over this tree branch. And I was like, Am- Did you what? I, yeah, I, I, I had like a whole conversation with it. Um, it was very one-sided, but uh, it came back? It did come oh. back, yeah. Yeah, I think I was stopped for about 10 minutes. I couldn't leave until We appreciate I your concern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so Heidi Front, so you were, um, when I met you, you were on Rally. That was sort of COVID times. We were in Sea Otter and in, in the US. And then you jumped to InstaFund, which is at the time was a Conti team, also in the US. Did you go from, remind me, InstaFund to DNA or straight from DNA to, I mean, for, straight from InstaFund to B&B? Um, what, what yes, was it was that? a very complicated order, but I was meant to go from InstaFund to B&B. Yes. And then I went from B&B to Zaf. Yes. Um, in a matter of days. And then uh, from Zaf to DNA in uh, May of 2023. So you went back and then you went to DNA mm-hmm. um, for part of last year. Yeah, well. except I uh, I didn't necessarily go back to the States. I just stayed in Europe um, and I raced pretty much the rest of that spring with the U.S. national team. And then when mm, right. and then I went back to the States for nationals and that was my first race with the team in June. Mm. Um, talk me through, like, because you, you were one of the athletes and there's a handful that just had such a tumultuous time uh, last year where you, yeah, everyone knows B&B didn't exist. It existed until December of that year, left you up creek without a paddle. And um, and then you jumped on Zaf, which was talking a really big game. They came here, had some had a few early season races, which was really exciting. And then the money wasn't coming in to any of its athletes. Talk me through that part um of because it must have felt like gosh like the um floor almost fell out then 
found a new home and then things started crumbling again. Yeah, um, it felt like, yeah, the floor kind of fell underneath me and then I, I fell into the basement and then the basement's like sunk into the ground. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, it's hard to hard to summarize it really. Um, honestly, it just left me really heartbroken about the fact that this that could still happen in the sport. And I think now that I've gone through that, I'm... I'm like, well, of course it happened. It's still like there's still a lot of stuff going on that's, yeah, that really shouldn't mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and, yeah, a lot of it just was like grasping onto any sort of foundation, and I really had to rely on the support system around me. And, um, yeah, my husband, Wade, and I had moved full-time to Girona, so we really – I mean, we could have gone back to my brother's house uh, where we lived for the last three years. Um, We could have gone back there and like slept in his guest room if we really had to. But Mm. but we completely moved over to Europe full time and then just had to trust that if I kept, I don't know, kept training like I never stopped training. I trained really hard throughout that whole period and um yeah, really relied on the national team to just get me races. And I mm. figured if I just raced from my heart, which I think I've always done, but I kind of really tapped into that more, then that would help me find something new. And um, honestly, DNA has a, was always a team that I admired from the States. And I'd always just heard such great things about them taking care of their people. Um, and it was like a family. And that's that was really immediately when I joined the team, that was Mm. what it felt like. And so, and I could just trust them. Really all I needed was to be able to trust people in cycling again. Mm. Um, And, and they provided that for me. And so it kind of allowed me to keep going. So before that you'd won um, a stage of the tour of Gila. Tour of the Gila. Gila, Gila, not Gila, Gila. (laughs) Sort of Australian thing. We call it Gila. Um, No. (laughs) weird lizard okay 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 and uh and the stage of the joe martin uh stage race as well which is essentially the two races in the u.s where they're they're the only races that you can accrue uci points so yeah 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 yeah. um yeah because even though i i won the redlands bicycle classic in 2022 but it's not uci so Mm. it doesn't get a lot of recognition but if you look at the people that have won that race in the past you have ina like, mm-hmm. you know, Tutenberg has won it. I mean, Ruth Winder has won it. Katie Hall. It's got quite a list of mm-hmm. legends. And um, that was honestly the biggest result that I'd ever gotten at that point. Um, but, yeah, when when European teams are looking at mm-hmm. pro cycling stats, they don't see Redlands on there. So, yeah, yeah it's kind of hard to get noticed still. So I remember being um, surprised, but not not oh, surprised probably the wrong word, but I I think it was a in a way a risky call to go with DNA, um, just because they weren't like a European team and they are based in the US, where a lot of your colleagues who had also been caught up in the the ZAF BNB debacle, um, Michaela Drummond, Lizzie Stannard, um, you know a couple of other names there, they were trying they were getting on European teams. So you did get a, in some sense, you went home, though you stayed in the mm-hmm. in Europe um, and you joined them on their European tour and then you got a shot at European racing and what happened? 
Uh, yeah. What happened was I won my first European race. Booyah. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Eggman. Yeah. Egmont, the Egmont cycling race in Belgium. It was a 1.2. So, yeah. yeah. But it doesn't really, though it's the lower of the UCI, it really, what's so challenging for Australian, New Zealand, USA athletes and South Africa, et cetera, is that you can win anything outside of Europe, but nothing matters until you do something inside of Europe. Did you really feel that? And when you won that race, did you think I'm going to make it or was there still like, um, what, tell me through the, the steps then that potentially happened in trying, in signing now with uh, Life Plus Wahoo? Yeah, I I think you're right about that, that even though you can have success outside of Europe, once you have success in Europe, it, it, you actually get noticed. And because especially now, like this is now my seventh year in the pro peloton and I've, I've been to Europe every year since 2018 and raced quite a bit, but it feels like the peloton is only just now figuring out who I am in mm-hmm. the last year. Um, which is, which is hard. Cause I mean, I, I had roles in my previous teams that were just workhorse roles and I really loved having those roles. It taught me a lot. And, um, but now it's, it's really cool to have the opportunity to go for results and feel like I'm actually capable of that as well. And it, it just took a much slower way of progressing. And yeah, after Egmont, I really, I got so much confidence out of it, especially because I had just raced the um, rescheduled Odingen, uh like three days before. And I realized I was racing the, at the Tour of Columbia in July. And at that race, I realized that I hadn't actually taken a break the entire year. Like from... Yeah, from the day I moved to Europe on January 1st <laughs> until July, I had just been going full gas. And that's really when it hit me that I was really exhausted. Um, and so I raced through Worlds in Glasgow. And then I took, the only time I could take off was like three days after that. Um, went into Odingen, had a, a horrible day. But my director, um, one of my directors on DNA was like, you will probably feel terrible at that race, but I think in two days you'll be flying. And that was exactly what happened. Um, and it showed me that you can, like every time I have to remind myself throughout the year that you can bounce back. And uh, even, yeah, you can have a really shit day on the bike. And even a couple of days later, you can turn it around. And um, when you have people around you that give you the confidence that you can, in fact, do that, that makes all the difference and came out of that race just feeling so much more confident and went into Ardèche and just felt like I was a different rider at that race as well. And that was my fifth Ardèche. Uh, yeah, so it's really just taken off since then. Did you ever think about giving up when the floor kept falling beneath you? Honestly, no, because it it really felt like I had put so much we had put so much work into moving doing all the visa stuff getting everything going and um yeah it was it took so much work to do it and we barely like (laughs) you don't even know that we barely made it happen in the first place even with Mm -hmm. a team 
to to go to Europe with. Um, just like getting marriage certificates printed in time that didn't show up for our visa appointment. And like, it was just madness, honestly. And so when we got there, we had a, we got our apartment, we moved in, we got furniture, we, we brought our cat. We're like, no, we are staying here <laughs> and we're going to make this work. <laughs> like we are, we are going to make it happen. Uh, and I think just through sheer determination that, so essentially you're all in. Like yeah, you're, completely. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so happier times. You're, happier times. You've come through what is significant rough waters um, and you have signed with Life Plus Wahoo this year. You joined them on um, a training camp, I think, before. And ha- how's the team? They're, they look rejuvenated. They're, you know, they've got a huge history in the sport and, and um, in producing champions and are sort of knocking on that world tour door. Tell me about the team. Yeah, uh, the team is fantastic. Honestly, it's like we had a team camp in December, like you said, and um, just right off the bat, it felt like everyone was comfortable being themselves. No one had to kind of tiptoe around other people, feel intimidated. There was nothing. There was none of that. Like everyone was just completely themselves from day one, which I think is really unique. And um, having a supportive and positive environment there with ambitions, but without this like high pressure vacuum is really unique. And I think that's why they do so well in producing riders that go on to, yeah, be champions in other teams. And, um, and the fact that they're like so proud of that too is really cool. Um, and we had very similar years in 2023 mm-hmm. like they went through a period of really tumultuous <laughs> times as well mm-hmm. with sponsors and um the way they made it work was it kind of mirrored in a way my trajectory as well so um i felt really seen by the team when we were discussing uh the contracts and and coming on board and it really validated like that kind of attitude of just going all in and not giving up. Um, when I, it was actually really, really hard to talk with other teams. Like I just couldn't get anywhere. And Tom and Life Plus were the first people that actually acknowledged the work that I'd done to stay in Europe and really not give up. And I just felt, yeah, I just felt so relieved and seen by that. Um, and it meant a lot. Was that um, so difficult, though, when you know how good you are um, and what you can bring to a team, not just as a leader like we saw or or ability to get results? So straight off the back, stage two uh, at Tour Down Under World Tour event, you've gotten a fifth place on a really, really difficult stage. That Serling stage was um, a really grippy day. Uh, The team has already had a great start, but is it just – was it just so frustrating when those bigger teams or, you know, even like some of the more prominent teams or teams that would really, you know, need someone like you and you know how much you can bring to the team that they just weren't even giving it that time of day? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't even tell you how frustrating it is. It's like to to have one of the teams tell you that you have no potential Um and they spent half an hour looking through your training peaks and didn't even bother to have a conversation with me. It was like they 
they looked at my numbers and then told me I had no potential. And mm. that was in, I don't know, August mm. of this year. And I was like, wow, okay. And I have, and I had so many friends on that team that were like, oh, like really supportive and mm. rooting for me. And, um, and it was a similar story with other teams as well. And it was like, okay, wow, <laughs> this is, it's not going to get easier, even though I've, Prove, I feel like I proved myself in Europe. It wasn't getting easier. And um, it just made me appreciate all the more uh, the teams and managers that saw what I had been through. And um, even knew me from like rally, 2018 rally days too, where I was like kind of an invisible workhorse or whatever, just floating through the Peloton trying to figure things out. And um, yeah. Oh, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> mm. Oh, mate, it's just I think that's why, you know, we wanted to talk to you because it's sort of just to try to give a bit of – and, like, we so appreciate you being open about it, but a bit of insight on um, there's a lot of pathways into the Pro Peloton and, and um, particularly if, if you're not 19 and you're not from Europe, um, then it's getting, you know, more and more difficult. There's quite a, um, you know, a stigma out there mm-hmm. at the moment, it seems, for, you know, older riders that can bring a lot to a team. But how um, it must have been really to get that fifth place and to feel like, you you know, you, you've known you've always belonged there, but you just needed that opportunity. And even to just to not necessarily prove yourself, but that I don't know if that's how it felt, but with the team, like to show the team, hey, you made the, made the right call. Yeah, I... After that stage, I had this whole monologue in my head that I was like, I just have, I feel like I have to preach something, but I didn't end up saying anything about it. Um, but preach it here, sister. What, what I wanted to say was just that, like, yes, there's this huge trend of signing these 18 year olds, 19 year olds, and then kind of kind of overlooking the riders that have just been slowly progressing at their own rate, um, going through stuff and learning by doing. And I've always been, I've always been a learner that progresses by like, yeah, making mistakes. And I feel like uh, I'm a bit worried that there's less opportunity for younger riders and even riders that come into cycling in their twenties, like I did. Um, there's less opportunity for them to learn by doing, um, and failing and making mistakes. Whereas like they're, they come into the sport at 19, 18, they've raced the juniors. And then especially with the way women's cycling is now where we still have a lack of like, a proper development pipeline where you're going, you're still going straight from juniors into the elites. Like there's, there is now one or two U23 races, which is great. And we need more of them. But, um, I just wanted to, I just wanted to tell other riders that might be like maybe a bit older. And I'm the, now the oldest rider on Life Plus. I'm now, I just turned 29, which is crazy. I feel like a grandma, but I'm not even 30 yet. And I feel Mm. like women are still peaking in their thirties and, and I still have so much time and to, to get the best result that I've ever gotten at the highest level event. Like now when I'm 29 was just insane. Mm. Um, and 
it, yeah, it meant so much to me. Just that I, I, there is a place for me in the sport. And for a long time, I didn't think that the sport wanted me anymore. And that, yeah, like last year, I, that was what it felt like. Um, and there, there is a place for these types of riders that progress slower than the young phenoms that are around. And yeah, that's what I wanted to preach. <laughs> so. I think you've said it so, so well, Heidi. It feels like um, whenever people ask me like what, I don't know, the, you know, you get the odd question when we're at that pro panel, you know, for the rattle gravel and that little girl said, and, you know, what would you tell me or younger self or getting into the sport and it just feels like you just want to say you've got so much time it feels like the the girls that the women that are coming through are just in such a rush and um and not necessarily looking around either um what with what they're trying to do but yeah it's um and and probably feels like the a lot that are coming into the sport won't probably hit their peak um you know there's a lot of studies out there that the the you know mid thirties is um you know women are getting stronger and able to go longer and there's research to back that up, but majority of the athletes that are coming in probably won't see that part of their career yeah um by doing too much uh too young of an age i think. I mean, it's like I I did some gymnastics when I was younger and a little bit in high school. And it's like, yeah, you have 16 year olds going to the Olympics and they're retired by the age of 23 or 25. And uh, cycling is not that and it doesn't need to be that. And um, I just really wish like another American, Kaya Schmidt, is a great example where she went into the world tour Right out of where is she? She's racing for the Live Jayco development team now, um, which I'm really excited for because I feel like she will have a mm. like more chances to develop rather than just being thrown into the world tour um, and the pressure of performing. Even though at like when she joined Rally at the, or yeah Rally Human Powered Health at the time, she was told that there would be no pressure, but then there obviously was pressure for her to perform and she ended up without a contract and um yeah you and Sarah Gigante is such a great example too where like she was so young and so successful at her age and and then to be called washed up at 23 like that interview broke my heart in so many ways and I'm so thrilled to see her back kicking ass because I feel like she we've only just seen the start of what she can do and with Support and like, yeah, just support and healthy support. Really, she can go really. Because Sarah's such a interesting one. Because for the Australians, we always knew that no one would ever say that about her, even with the challenges she's had. Because mm. always knew the potential. Once she came through that, she everyone here always knew that she has the potential to take on Demi Vollering. Like it, yeah. honestly, at the Tour de France. But if you put on your European glasses. It can be hard to see that if, you know, you're only looking at it sort of from a surface level, which, um, you know, and, yeah, look out. I think, yes, she's acknowledged some bunch skills that she, but she's also acknowledged that she's hardly had any pro racing exactly. as well. So Yeah, 22 races in two years, mm. wasn't it? Mm. Like, yeah, no, her skills are going to come in rapidly, I think, with the racing that she'll get to do now and and. 
again, it's progressing at your individual rate. There's no algorithm. My, my teammate Alicia said it so well just the other day. She said, cycling is not like two plus two does not equal four in cycling that it, you cannot just apply <laughs> that to this sport because there are so many different ways of progressing through it. So many different ways of training and we all have different coaches that have different methods. And it's like, you have to allow riders to make mistakes and develop slowly or quickly if they, if that's how they're doing it. Mm. Yeah. Um, looking forward. What's, uh, so what, what, what makes this year's, year successful for yourself and for Life Plus? What's the, what's the teams? We're actually sitting, I'll set the scene. We're actually sitting in a boardroom at the moment. So <laughs> what are your KPIs for this season? And we can have a performance meeting later. <laughs> um, yeah, I think what's great about this team is a successful season isn't, you know, a list of results on a piece of paper. I think, uh, we've already had such a great start with the team dynamic that we have and racing as a unit from day one and just continuing that and showing ourselves and proving that we, yeah, we can do these, we can do the biggest races in the world, uh, is this, is a successful season. And I think for me, I've had to readjust my goals a little bit because I ticked that off on day two. Um, of, uh, yeah, a top 10 in the world tour was my goal for the whole year and I was top five. So I got to readjust my expectations a little bit, but, um, yeah, helping, helping the younger girls on this, on this team now that I'm the grandma. Um, and I've, I've sort of had to come to terms with the experience that I do have. And I think on DNA, actually, that was one of the first times I acknowledged that, oh, I, I do have a lot of experience and I do really enjoy leading on a team and sharing like, yeah, sharing my tactical knowledge or sharing my knowledge about races that I've been doing for the last seven years. Um, and yeah, that was the first time I'd really gotten to appreciate that about my growth sort of as a, um, yeah, as a workhorse and team worker and seeing the races from a different perspective and uh, being able to share and teach newer riders how to do that. Um, and yeah, if I can keep doing that on this team, I'm, I'll be really, really fulfilled, honestly. So um the some of the uh, race starts have just come out for the classics, uh, and Life Plus uh, has a couple of starts. So we'll come back to Cadell's shortly this weekend. But um, from here, from Australia, where do you go to, and what does the early season look like? And I think, from my understanding, talking Olympics, the USA has a very weird rule or, or qualification that it's going to if you win the time trial, then you get a spot. Mm. Are you currently training on your time trial bike? Uh, no, I am not. <laughs> okay, so we'll cross that one off, um, what you'll be doing in uh, July. But before that, what is the season? You, well, yeah. I'll tell you what I hope my husband is doing in July. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, think, yeah, yeah. I think he's the most likely to go to the Olympics uh, in our family as a mechanic. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
That's what I keep telling. As long as he gets the merch, that's all they want. Oh, exactly. It's just yeah, make sure he gets a small size and you can rock that for the rest of time. Um, Fingers crossed, Wade. No pressure. So the European Spring. What does that look like? Uh, European Spring will be yeah some great spring classics. We just got the invite for Liège and for Paris Roubaix. Uh, still waiting on the Flanders Classics to come through. But at this point, we'll start with um, Hogland mm-hmm. and go on to Lassemin and, uh, yeah, Nokara, kind of those. Because is the Classics where you see your strength or is it more of the Helia one-week stage, one to two to we don't have three, but yeah. week stage races. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. I'm definitely a punchier rider, so the hilly kind of punchy classics do suit me. Uh, but I do think the classics are such a different, like it's a different way of racing. And um, and I don't think I've quite gotten enough starts at the classics yet to mm. really uh, – yeah, to really call myself a classics rider. I I really enjoy the stage races and I do feel like I get better throughout a stage race. So those are the ones that I enjoy the most, but I'm really looking forward to racing more of the classics and getting a, a better feel for them. Hyde, thanks so much for being open with us. And um, I think just it's very inspiring how you charged on and, and also going all in and not being afraid to fail on it. And, and really right now it has worked out for you, which is amazing. Like it seems like you really found your feet and you're actually a real, you see it with the team that you've got there. You're a real leader there. And, but also, you know, you've shown them already that the investment has and will continue to pay off in you as well. But, uh, yeah, we wish you all the luck this year and um, I'm sure everyone at the uh, Escape Collective will follow along. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Dills. <laughs> <laughs>All right, that's it for this special episode. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back tomorrow with our regular Wheel Talk podcast with Gracie, Lauren, and I. And we are closing in on opening weekend. Omloop Head Newswad is coming. We cannot wait to talk about it this week. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> oh, mate, I have to give you oh, a hug. That was great. Oh, dude. Thank you so much. Oh, was it like therapy? No. Yeah, <laughs> that was like therapy. <laughs>